Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And before we get to the episode, I just want to set the stage that Reed and I talked about being a cadet in Air Force ROTC for almost two hours. And I don't want to cut out a lot of the information that is shared here. So the way that we're going to do this, I'm actually going to break up the episode into two different parts. The first one being focused on the experience as a GMC cadet. Then the second one is about being a POC cadet. Those two episodes will encompass the entirety of the cadet experience. So with that, I'll turn it over to myself and Reed and our deep dive into Air Force ROTC. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I'm Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. All right. Well, Colin, it is going to be your turn to take the mic for a good portion of this episode. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about the training experience of OTS. We went through my background, you know, what I experienced there as a cadet, and then my thoughts on going back as an instructor. And now we're going to turn it over to you, and we're going to hear about uh, the same order of things. So what it was like going through Air Force ROTC as a cadet and then we'll turn to your thoughts on being an instructor at Afrasi. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to set the stage, just a quick reminder to everybody that out there that's listening to this, that the vast majority of the officers that come into the Air Force will go through Air Force ROTC. So I already told you I was going to say this. Point of order, point of order. Um, proceed. Proceed, yeah. So depending on how you... You look at it, there have been some years where OTS commissions the majority of officers. It's because of what used to be COT or the commission officer training, the direct accessions. So that program puts through a lot of folks. But yes, line of the Air Force, you're absolutely right. Most of the line of the Air Force officers are coming through from ROTC. Yeah, and let's just remind ourselves what the difference is between line and non-line of the Air Force. So line of the Air Force are all of the rated officers, the the pilots, combat systems officers, air battle managers, remotely piloted aircraft, as well as the non-rated, which is more of the support functions. I mean, there's some still operational stuff going on there, like intelligence, space operations, cyber operations, as well as the traditional support functions like civil engineering, force support, security forces, all of these other positions are considered line of the Air Force. And non-line is your chaplains, all of your JAG, your legal folks, and all of your medical personnel. And they make up a pretty significant portion of the officer corps. So there are a lot of them. And that's why, depending on how you want to say the most Air Force officers, it can be that way. But yeah, totally right. Line of the Air Force, most of them are coming from ROTC. So 
one thing that I want to bring up here, though, is that my guess is the target demographic for Air Force ROTC, meaning like high school students and freshmen in college, those that still have enough time in their their undergraduate studies, are probably not the podcast listening type. For a lot of them, you know, they're, especially those that are still in high school, the Air Force probably isn't even on their radar, pun intended. I know that was certainly the case for me when I was in high school. I knew what the military was. I had talked to the recruiters when they showed up at my high school and listened to their spiel, but I knew that I wanted to go to college because I wanted to study engineering. I had my sights set on becoming a scientist, an engineer for NASA. I wanted to participate in the Mars exploration program. And so I chose to not enlist because I wanted to go to college. But I didn't even know that Air Force ROTC existed, that it was an option available to me until somebody talked to me about it. So when I graduated high school, I went straight on my two-year mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And during that time, I had a companion who had spent a year at the Air Force Academy. We talked a little bit about what that was like, and he shared with me that it was unlikely that I would be able to get into the academy, so I should consider going into Air Force ROTC. So I looked that up, comes to find out that there are 145 detachments across the nation. So the schools that I was interested in going to, Colorado State, University of Colorado, Embry-Riddle, Each of these different universities that had engineering programs I was interested in also had Air Force ROTC. Quick question for you, Colin. Why did he say that you wouldn't likely be accepted to the academy? Was it because you hadn't started the application process early enough or what was the reasoning that he gave you at that time? Yeah, that was the main thing is that I hadn't started the application process and didn't have enough time between when I was going to finish my mission and when I wanted to start college to get the endorsements needed and finish the application and admissions process. So it was just a little far gone. Plus, I didn't know this at the time, but come to find out that you're not allowed to be married when you go to the Air Force Academy. And for me, that was a showstopper. I wasn't married. Obviously, I was still serving a mission for my church, but I knew that I wanted to get married at some point and didn't like the idea of having to wait until I graduated from college in order to do that. Got it. So I chose to go the Air Force ROTC route. Now, I didn't go to any of those universities that I listed. I ended up at Brigham Young University, and that's how I met my wife. And I share all of this background information because despite all of the efforts at Air Force ROTC headquarters and all of the magnificent recruiters that are out there, the majority of cadets who join Air Force ROTC and therefore the majority of the line officers in the Air Force are in the Air Force at all because somebody talked to them about it. They didn't necessarily find it on their own. Some do, but there's a a huge amount of us that are in the Air Force just because somebody was willing to share something about Air Force ROTC and how it is an option available to them when they get into college. So that is also the case with this podcast. You know, I can talk about Air Force ROTC 
till I am blue in the face. But unless someone talks to these students in high school or freshmen in college, they're very likely to miss out on the opportunity to join Air Force RTC. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to join the Air Force. It just means that they're going to have to later apply through officer training school. And as you've shared with us many times, Reed, that is a far more complicated and competitive and time-consuming process than Air Force ROTC. Yeah, OTS definitely needs to be not your first plan. Now, granted, for some of our audience, that's the only route to a commission. But yeah, we've discussed that at length. It is definitely the last mechanism the Air Force uses to commission folks. So it doesn't get much harder, honestly. Right. So shameless plug, please take a moment to share this episode with people in your network, those high school students, those freshmen in college, send it to your family, your friends, your neighbors, and give them an opportunity to pursue a commission in the Air Force through Air Force ROTC. I'm not saying that they have to, but it is their best shot for becoming an officer in the Air Force. All right, Reed, you ready to get into the nitty-gritty details of Air Force ROTC? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. So unlike your experience, Reed, I don't feel that much has changed with Air Force ROTC from when I was a cadet. Certainly, there are some nuancey type of things that change or evolve over time, and even some real significant policy changes once in a while. But the overall structure of Air Force ROTC and the path to commissioning is essentially the same today as it was when I was a cadet over 10 years ago. What do you think accounts for that stability? I think the stability comes from the fact that it is a longer program in that it is designed to take three to four years to complete and that it is very much tied to the relationship with the university and the universities don't necessarily change that often either. Okay. Yeah, I've also wondered if the fact that it's happening at so many different places whereas OTS is concentrated and all the change can happen very quickly in one place, to institute a change across the whole planet, right? There are detachments in places in Europe and in Asia, so it's not like you can just flip a switch and get all that change to happen super quickly. Yeah, so actually there are 145 detachments, and they are all in the United States, both CONUS and OCONUS. So there's a detachment in Alaska, there's one in Hawaii, and there's also one in Puerto Rico. But you're not going to find any outside of the United States of America. Oh, okay. Thanks. So the other thing that I thought of as you were explaining why it might be stable, yes, I agree with you, but I also think it's that it is a continuous program. You always have cadets in it. Whereas... OTS, the way that it's structured now, OTS has classes that last for nine weeks at a time or whatever the length is. Whereas Air Force ROTC, there are always cadets in it and any amount of change is going to affect all of the cadets that are in it, not just an individual class and all those that come after it. Yeah, no, really fair point. So The program is pretty stable. It hasn't changed very much over the years. However, I want to offer one major caveat to that. So as I explained back in episode three, when I was giving 
the explanation of Air Force ROTC. I mentioned at the time that every one of those 145 detachments is going to be a little bit different. And this is because each university and their demographics are unique. They're not all exactly the same in both in size and the kind of people that they attract. And so that will have an impact on the way the detachment operates, as well as some detachments are small, ranging somewhere between 20 and 40 cadets. Some are a medium size, some are around 100 cadets, and then there are some very large detachments that have 200, 300, 400 cadets. And the way that things operate in your experience there as a cadet going through the training is going to be very different depending on the university and the size of the detachment that you go to. The detachment you attended there at Brigham Young, how big is was that detachment when you first showed up? Yeah, so Air Force ROTC Detachment 855 at Brigham Young University and Utah Valley University is considered a large detachment. We have about 160 cadets that can uh, get up to 180, even closer to 200 at times. And that was the size that it was when I was a cadet and is uh, similar to what it is now. Okay. Yeah, that, that's double the size of my OTS class. And OTS classes can be pretty different. You know, 100 when I was going through up to 250 was the largest I saw. Recently had a class of 600 cadets. So interesting. Yeah. And so along those lines as well, the resources and training environment that you have access to are going to differ based on the size and what that university may encourage or tolerate from the military, knowing that not all universities are uh, and uh, demographics are military friendly. And on the other side of things, some are very pro-military and will make every effort to support the detachment and its cadets. So after you talk to your buddy, what was the next step after you thought, maybe I'll go look into this? Yeah. So my first day of college was back in 2006. I'm fresh off my mission and I've never done the college thing before ever. So what I had to do was go to the student center and say, Hey, do you know where the air force ROTC is? And not everybody knows what ROTC is, but thankfully I was able to find out where the ROTC program was on BYU's campus. For my detachment, we actually had our own building. Other universities elsewhere, they may be tucked away in a basement far, far away from and out of the side of the public eye. So your mileage may vary on that one. But for me, it was pretty easy to find. They just said, go find this building, start walking that direction. You can't miss it. So I walked into the ROTC building and our building is shared between the Army and the Air Force. So I walk in and I see Army ROTC on the left, Air Force ROTC on the right, and I definitely chose right. So I walk in there, I go into the, the offices and say, hey, I'm interested in joining Air Force ROTC. And I was met by a major there. I didn't know he was a major at the time. I honestly didn't know anything really about the Air Force, the ranks or anything like that. But I saw that there were some golden oak leaves on his shoulder and I thought that was cool. And 
he took the, the time to explain to me how the program worked, how to sign up. And that is essentially the same process as it is today. If you want to join Air Force ROTC, you go into the detachment, you talk to a major or a captain or whoever is available to you there, and they'll tell you what classes you need to sign up for and where to show up at the beginning of the semester. Super simple. So, Colin, I flirted with ROTC when I was attending school, admittedly, primarily because of the scholarship aspect that that could be, you know, I was a poor college student. We were young, we were married, didn't have very many nickels to rub together, hardly ever. And the idea of someone else paying for school was pretty attractive. So I had a fairly similar experience, you know, walked in, talked to somebody. But how how does that process happen? The whole scholarship thing? Like, did you show up and then they said, hey, congratulations, school is now paid for? Because that was not what happened for me. When I spoke to the recruiter, they said, well, you'll have to change majors if you want to get a scholarship. That wasn't in the cards for me, and I just kind of shelved it at that point. So how does that whole thing happen? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways that you can get a scholarship through Air Force ROTC. The first one is called the High School Scholarship Program, also known as HSSP. This is for students who have not yet gone to college in a full-time capacity. Most typically, that is going to be a high school senior that is graduating and planning to attend college that following fall semester. But really, the eligibility requirement is that you've never been a full-time college student. So take me as, as an example. Had I known about the HSSP while I was still serving my mission, I could have applied to get a scholarship through HSSP because I had never been a full-time college student, even though I had graduated a year and a half or two years earlier. So anybody who has never been to college full-time can potentially apply for the high school scholarship program. The other couple things that they need in order to be eligible for it is have at least a 26 on the ACT and usually a 3.0 GPA up through their junior year of high school. They're not going to look at your senior year at all because they want to keep things equal across all of the other applicants who have just completed their junior year in high school. So if you are in that position and you want to apply for the high school scholarship program, you can do that on afrazi.com, which we will link in the show notes. And the scholarship window opens during the summer, typically the 1st of June. A couple of things that I want to say about the scholarship itself is that it's actually not one scholarship, but there are three different types that you can qualify for. The type one scholarship is a four-year full tuition, no cap scholarship to any university in the United States that has an Air Force ROTC detachment. So for example, if you are able to get into Harvard or Ohio State or anything like that, that has a, a higher tuition rate, the type one scholarship is going to pay full tuition at that university for four years. The Type 2 scholarship is also a four-year scholarship to any university in the United States, but that one is capped at $18,000 a year. And then the third type is called a Type 7. Why they skipped 3, 4, 5, and 6, I don't know, but the Type 7 is also a four-year scholarship, full tuition, but it is capped at the 
in-state tuition rate for any public university where you are a resident. So if you are a resident of Colorado, like I was, I could have used that at Colorado State or University of Colorado, but I could not use it at some place like the University of Denver. The Type 7 scholarship does not cross state lines, so I would not have been able to use the Type 7 at Brigham Young University because I was not a resident of the state of Utah. Plus, Brigham Young University is a private university, but there is the option to have a four-year Type 7 scholarship converted into a three-year Type 2 scholarship and take that across state lines to any university that has an Air Force ROTC detachment. But if you do that, you won't be able to receive any tuition payments until you are a sophomore at that new university. So you can still be a cadet, but that first year as a freshman will be paid out of your own pocket or other scholarships or grants that you receive. And then your three-year type two will come into effect during your sophomore year. So even though I didn't have a scholarship to begin with, I was able to eventually get one. You can start Air Force RTC as a freshman and later get a scholarship through the in-college scholarship program. So that's the second way that you can get a scholarship. The first one is the high school scholarship program or HSSP. The second one is the in-college scholarship program or ICSP. So don't think that if you miss the... HSSP because you didn't know about it or you didn't get selected, you can still potentially get a scholarship through ICSP once you have been in Air Force ROTC. And then at that point, everything is still similar to the requirements for HSSP and your cadre there at the detachment will help to guide you through it. The scholarship that you get, regardless of the type or whether it's HSSP or ICSP comes with a $900 per year book allowance, as well as a monthly stipend that is paid directly to you. And that amount will increase over time, starting at $300 a month for freshmen and goes up to $500 a month for seniors. Quick question on that book allowance. Is that up to $900 or is it like you just got $900 once a year and if you only had $200 worth of books, you had 700 extra dollars. It is $900 a year, period. So if you can find a cheaper way to get your books, then you get to keep the difference. Got it. Thanks. Yep. The same is true for the stipend. Like That money is paid directly to you. And if you want to use that money for groceries or your rent or something like that, and you are able to keep your expenses under the stipend amount, you get to keep the difference. Is the intent there that... You need to be focusing on your academics and on your ROTC and maybe not taking a job to kind of just, you know, is that kind of the intent of why you get that stipend? Yeah, that's absolutely the, the purpose of the scholarship. One, it's an incentive program to get people to join Air Force ROTC to begin with, but it's also to enable you to focus on your studies and your training through ROTC and not have to work a part-time job in most cases. Now, my experience was that even though I had a scholarship, I chose to work a part-time job anyway because I had the time and the capacity for it 
And Air Force ROTC was helping me to figure out how to manage my time and my priorities. And so I was able to make that happen. And that's also been the case for my cadets as I've been an instructor. I have quite a few cadets who, even though they have a scholarship, still choose to work so that they can have that additional income and maintain a higher level of lifestyle or support a family if that's what they desire. Another thing that I should say about the scholarships is that if you receive a scholarship through the high school scholarship program, the first year is essentially a freebie in that you are allowed to test out Air Force ROTC and see if you like it. And then if you don't, you can drop the program and not have to pay anything back. There's no obligation to continue. You can get your school paid for for that first year and then have no repercussions after that. However, as soon as you enter into your first day of your sophomore year, you are now on the hook to complete Air Force ROTC and receive a commission and go on active duty or pay back your scholarship or fulfill an enlistment as an airman in order to pay back the amount of money that the Air Force has given you for your scholarship. Now, the vast majority of students who drop the program after their second year are not going to be called on to active duty as an enlisted airman. Most of them are going to just have to pay the scholarship back, but I have seen it done where cadets who drop the program after their second year are called on to active duty. So it is a thing. All right, that covers scholarships. Any other questions on that one, Reed? No, I think that there's a lot to it. It seems like it's definitely one of those things you're going to want to get online, talk to somebody in person to kind of sort through. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm happy to field those questions or even better, go talk to your cadre at the local Air Force ROTC detachment so that they can give you the specifics on how scholarships are operating at that time and place. Okay, let's talk structure within Air Force ROTC. Specifically, how does a cadet move from day one of training to day last where they receive their commission and are eventually brought on to active duty? So first thing I should say is that Air Force ROTC is governed by the Instruction 36-2011 Cadet Operations. This regulation is our bread and butter and while it doesn't cover absolutely every possible situation, it gives you a, a good idea of how the program is organized and what you can expect from it. Additionally, there are specific Air Force ROTC supplements to AFI 362905, the fitness program, and 362903, dress and appearance. So it would behoove you to take a look at those and get a, an idea of what would be expected of you as a cadet, or if you are already in the program, I'm sure you already know about these, but make sure that you're getting familiar with those regulations as they govern your training day in and day out. That being said, even with this guidance in place, Air Force RTC is what I like to call squishy, meaning there's a lot of flex and gray area with respect to the way things are done. This gets at the heart of what I was saying before, that the 145 detachments are all unique. 
they do things a little bit differently. So Air Force ROTC is designed to follow a typical four-year timeline of a college degree. There are many ways to complete Air Force ROTC in as many as five years or six in some cases, or in as few years as two. I've even seen options for completing the program in one year, but that is in very rare circumstances. So the ideal is to complete it in four years. During that time, it will seem like there's no end to the things that you have to do for Air Force ROTC for your training. So let me clarify what is what within the program. So there are three categories of Air Force ROTC training or activities that are both outlined in Title 10 U.S. Code 2109, which governs practical military training, as well as AFI 36-2011, paragraph 10.3. So the first type of training or activity that you can participate in is mandatory PMT, mandatory practical military training. This is training or activities that are officially Air Force ROTC sponsored, and there is an active duty member, a cadre member from the detachment present, who also authorizes, plans, facilitates, or otherwise provides resources for the activity. Does that include the classes that you have? Yes, this includes the classes that I mentioned earlier about what you need to sign up for in order to be in the program. The classes are the the practical military training, and there are three of them. So there is the lecture class, the leadership lab, and there is physical training. And I'll get into what each of those three are all about and what they mean for you as a cadet. The second category of training or events that you can be involved in is voluntary PMT, voluntary practical military training. Similar to mandatory PMT, this is an AFROTC-sponsored or military-related training event that is so designated by the detachment commander but does not necessarily require the presence of an active duty member and is also not mandatory. So you can choose to be involved with it. Some examples of voluntary PMT are things like mock deployments or base visits where we take the cadets to a local Air Force base and show them around, or other types of training that happen outside of mandatory PMT, such as field training preparation, honor guard or drill team, Arnold Air Society. All of these different things are considered voluntary PMT. And the important thing to understand with voluntary PMT is that for those types of activities, the Air Force holds no medical or legal liability for anything that happens in voluntary PMT. Now that's a really important distinction there, Reed, and to contrast it against what you do at OTS. At OTS, the students there are, you are responsible for them at all times, 24-7 while they are in class. Yep, absolutely. As soon as they report to the installation, they are formally under our administrative control. Yeah, so that is not the case for Air Force ROTC. Our cadets are not in the military. They have not yet taken an oath. The Air Force takes no responsibility for them except when we are engaged in mandatory PMT. So 
we can be doing training activities, things that add value to your training experience and develop you as a future officer in the Air Force. But if it is considered voluntary PMT and you get hurt or you get injured or you're uh, involved in doing something that is not safe and something goes wrong, the Air Force holds no responsibility for you. It's something for you to, to consider when you are organizing training for your fellow cadets or cadre are looking at what it is that the cadets want to do and need to make a call on whether they are going to support it or not. So those are the first two types of activities or training that you can get involved in. The third type is called non-PMT activities or non-practical military training. This is essentially everything else. Yes, you can get involved with activities such as opening socials, game nights, flight meetings, or this, that, and the other that can still add value to your training and develop you, but is not considered practical military training in any form. So what does all this mean in reality? It means that you are not required to do anything for Air Force ROTC except for those things that are mandatory PMT. Leadership lab, your lecture class, and PT. That's it. The detachment commander may choose to exceed the limit on mandatory PMT during the week, and you need to uh, adhere to that. But please don't feel like you are obligated to participate in anything that is not mandatory PMT. You don't have to go to FTP. You don't have to join the Honor Guard. You don't have to do Arnold Air Society. All of these other extra things in order for you to be successful in ROTC and receive your commission. All right. So I'm not a ROTC guy, but I am an Air Force guy. And having been in the Air Force long enough, there are all sorts of unwritten rules, unspoken rules for success, many of which are not required, but will certainly help. Colin, how much of this stuff actually matters when it comes to maybe getting a higher stratification within your year group to help you get that pilot slot you've been trying to get since you were a fetus? Do a lot of these voluntary or non-PMT type things, do you think that influences you know, class ranking and stuff like that. And so that might be where some of the pressure to do these things comes from. Yeah, I'm really glad that you bring that up. Because what have we said previously on this podcast? That this is not a job, it's a profession. It's a lifestyle. And the sooner that you can adjust to that lifestyle, the sooner that you can show that you are bought in and that you are going to fully embrace what the Air Force is and what it stands for, yeah, that's going to have an impact on your training, on your development, and how the people around you, including those that are evaluating you, see you as a future contributor to the Air Force. Now, I will say that as a cadre member for Air Force ROTC, I have tried really hard to limit my evaluations to mandatory PMT, but I'm still human. And the people that I see more often when they participate in voluntary PMT are going to get more face time with me. So I know them better, right? Yeah. And that's a lot of it, right? It just sounds exactly like the active duty air force, frankly, being known matters. You know, it's, it's part of the game that we have to play. Yeah. 
for good or for bad, that is the game. And if you want to show that you are serious about this career, about this profession, then yeah, buy into it, perform and show up. Cool. So college freshman Colin is now in Afarazzi. You've signed up for your classes. You know, how does this kind of work out? You go to a couple classes here and there, you wear your uniform once a week on Fridays or something, and then you keep your haircut always in regs. Is that kind of how it goes? And you just kind of go about college life? Yeah, exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. So let me explain my experience. Since I went through the typical four-year program, the way that I went through it is it's a good example of what you could expect as a cadet in Air Force ROTC. So like I said, I met with that major and he explained to me the classes that I need to sign up for and told me, this is the date and place that you need to show up for classes. So that's what I did. And as I went through my first semester, I was issued my uniforms. I started the various different processes of turning in my information to verify that I am a citizen of the United States doing my medical evaluation, making sure that I was physically and medically capable of serving and going to the classes, getting the introductory training to help me understand what the Air Force was about and how ROTC was structured. And that's really what you need to understand about the first year. It is the first of two years spent in the GMC or the General Military Course. During the GMC years, cadets' main focus should be on mandatory PMT, though they can participate in voluntary PMT if they want to, so that they can adapt to the military environment, learn how to work as a team, and prepare to move up in the cadet ranks into the, the second two years, which is called the Professional Officer Course, or POC. This GMC POC construct is exactly what you experienced at OTS Reed, where the POC are in charge of training the GMC. And once the POC graduate, the GMC move up, become the POC, and the process starts over. Okay, so a little bit of the upper class, lower class training construct. Yeah, exactly. The vast majority of training in ROTC is done by the cadets to other cadets. The main reason for that is there's just not enough cadre for them to provide the individual attention that cadets need in order to grow and develop. And so we leverage the cadets that are in the program themselves and help them gain their own skills in training others by having the POC train the GMC. And then cadre, just like you experienced uh, at OTS, cadre are there to provide oversight, make sure that everything is safe, equitable fair, and properly resourced. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, there are three mandatory classes, and this was my experience as a cadet and uh, holds true today, that there are three mandatory PMT classes that every GMC cadet and POC cadet have to participate in. The first one is the Aerospace Studies class or AS class. This is, just as it sounds, it's a lecture class that is focused on teaching you Air Force terminology and concepts and helping you navigate Air Force ROTC. The curriculum for these classes is developed by a bunch of PhDs at the Home Center, and it's the same curriculum that is used at OTS. 
some topics that you could expect, especially during your your first semester, is customs and courtesies, how to wear the uniform, potential different career fields that are available to officers in the Air Force. This is not a difficult class, at least it shouldn't be, depending on where you go and what university you're at, the detachment and the instructor that you have. But it is meant to be really easy, introductory, and fun. It's supposed to retain you. The lecture class is going to most typically be taught by a cadre member, an officer that is already commissioned in, in, in the Air Force, but some detachments have government contractors that have some Air Force experience and are being used to fill some of the vacancies left by Air Force officers. But because of OIRSD and the value that the Air Force is placing on these instructor type positions, those contract jobs are likely to go away. So in addition to the lecture class, you are expected to attend leadership lab. This is where the entire cadet wing are coming together to practice various aspects of Air Force officership that they learn in the lecture class. And a lot of the training that I mentioned by the POC to the GMC is going to occur. This class, this lab is governed by the T-508, the Cadet Guide to Leadership Lab. And that document outlines all of the objectives that each of the different GMC and POC cadets have to accomplish each year in order to check off those requirements for graduation and receiving a commission. So Leadership Lab is going to cover various things like the military environment or the basics of marching, customs and courtesies, learning about the Air Force, guest speakers, warrior ethos, those kinds of things. Are these kind of like field events ever? Do you have like problem solving or, you know, being outside doing kind of fun military stuff? Or is this, I mean, it seems like this is kind of a grab bag of a lot. That is a great way to describe it. It is definitely a grab bag. Sometimes we'll be out in the field shooting each other with paintballs, crawling through the mud. Sometimes we'll be in service dress, listening to a senior leader talk about leadership and their experience in the Air Force and everything in between. And those activities are going to differ greatly based on the university that you're at, the resources that are available, and the type of things that the POC cadets who are in charge of the training want to do. Okay. So, and I know you're going to cover the last category here in a second, physical training. So if it's in the classroom and you're learning academics, that's aerospace studies. If it's purposefully for physical training, it's going to be PT. And then leadership lab is just kind of everything else, the miscellaneous category. Right. Yeah. And so the academic discussion happens in the AS class. The application of those principles are done in the leadership lab. And then physical training is where you run around and get hot and sweaty. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So PT, physical training by AFI, you are required to participate in at least two, but no more than three PT sessions per week. And the amount is up to the detachment commander and what he or she wants you to do. When you say amount, do you mean the duration of those sessions? 
it doesn't say the length of those sessions. It just says the number of sessions. So it could be 15 minutes. It could be three hours. Got it. Okay. But it's up to the detachment commander to say when and where those PT sessions take place. However, that is really the extent of the involvement from the cadre for PT. Everything else is run by the cadets. They organize the, the workout plans and make sure that cadets are working toward meeting the requirements outlined in AFI 36-2905 and able to pass the fitness assessment. Quick question on that. So I'm guessing that prior to receiving their commission, they have to have an official passing physical fitness assessment score. Is that correct? Yeah. So that one is called the qualifying fitness review, and that is done within 30 days of graduating and commissioning. Okay. So if the physical training is kind of up to the cadets, I mean, they're not in the Air Force yet. So aren't you accepting a little bit of risk there that the PT sessions may be inadequate to prepare someone to pass? What are your thoughts on that? I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. So there are a couple other times over the course of the development of the cadet where they still have to pass a fitness assessment or they're not going to progress any further. One of those times is the activation of a scholarship. You cannot activate a scholarship unless you have a passing fitness assessment score. Okay. So basically that last one, it's not the first time. And obviously they should know about this fitness assessment prior to this, right? Okay. You know, just compared and contrast, right? At OTS, we always tell our students come fit. Clearly our priors have passed and continued to have passed PFAs at some point in time. Passing the PFA was always a big deal. It was one of the largest contributors to our attrition, you know, people being eliminated from training and is always like a sore point that we would talk about, right? Are we doing enough to train them adequately to be successful given the length of our program? You can't really turn a couch potato around in two months. You can do quite a bit, but you can't completely turn it around. So it's always a tough part for OTS to really wrap our arms around just given the short duration of our training. Yeah. So I'll say this, that ROTC, the way that it is structured, does allow for the couch potato to come into the program, get their act together, and eventually pass the fitness assessment. But they won't get a scholarship, and they won't be able to attend field training, which is one of those milestone things that I'll cover later. They won't attend field training unless they have a passing fitness assessment score. But I agree with you that of the things in ROTC that are well planned out and structured, the PT program is not one of them. And I feel like Air Force ROTC is doing a disservice to our cadets in not providing further instruction and resources on how to properly exercise and develop a lifestyle of health and fitness that is going to carry over into their active duty service. Yeah, that's interesting because you'd think if they were required to work out at least twice a week, potentially three, that they would kind of develop that lifestyle on their own. But you're saying that you're not necessarily seeing that. Yeah. And the reason is that the cadre are there for safety and supervision. We can participate in their exercise program so long as it doesn't compromise our ability to observe what's going on. And also in our instructions, it says that 
cadre should not be taking the lead in planning and programming the workouts, but that should be cadet driven. Well, some of these cadets don't know what they're doing themselves. I mean, think about the type of demographic that the Air Force attracts. This is the skinny, lerpy, beanpole, STEM major who enjoys playing video games in their free time that never really chose to engage fully in athletics. Now, I, I know I'm speaking in stereotypes in a broad generality, but we're not necessarily attracting the fitness freak, the bodybuilder. I mean, we get our exercise science majors, but not very many of our cadets actually know what they're doing when it comes to designing a, a fitness and training plan or nutrition plan or anything like that. Usually what happens is that a cadet wing is going to have a physical fitness officer who is the genetic freak that happens to run a sub nine mile and a half by accident. And they're told, okay, get the rest of the cadet wing in shape, but they don't know how to do it themselves. They're just born that way. What I think the Air Force in general and ROTC specifically needs to develop is a training plan that is going to catch the vast majority of people within that bell curve, you know, the below average athlete and can take them from no experience whatsoever straight off the couch and within a semester or a year and get them passing the fitness assessment. No, it's good perspective. Thanks. So those three classes, the aerospace studies class, the lecture class, leadership lab, and PT, those are the three mandatory PMT events that a cadet has to participate in in order to stay within the program. If they don't do those three things, they will be dropped from the program. But like I said, there are other things that a cadet may participate in, like the Honor Guard, Arnold Air Society, that detachment may have a special warfare training program for cadets that are interested in going to phase two selection for Stowe or Crow or ALO or something like that, but those are not mandatory. They are certainly valuable. They can add to your development as an officer, but please understand that they are not required and should not be confused with mandatory PMT. So did you do any of these voluntary things during your first year? So I actually did not. I thoroughly enjoyed my 100 year. I mean, it took me a couple months to get fully plugged in and figure out how ROTC worked. But once I hit my stride, I felt that I had a natural affinity for the structure and the activities and the training and the things that I was involved in. But I chose to not do anything extra. I stuck with those things that were required. And because I felt that I had enough uh, on my plate with my studies in mechanical engineering and working part-time, I didn't think that I needed to do anything else. Except that I did choose to participate in other extracurricular activities outside of ROTC, things that I enjoyed and helped me develop in other ways. So looking back, do you regret that decision? Do you think, you, I mean, it's hard to look back, right? You're where you are. And 
we do this in our interviews a lot. You know, we say, could you give your past self some advice? What would you give your past self advice on in that area? So I don't know that I would have done the activities or anything that I was involved in any differently. I think that I still would have stuck to the mandatory PMT stuff. But I think what I want to say here is it's important for you as a cadet to get involved with something, whether that is the voluntary PMT, the honor guard, the Arnold Deer Society or whatever, or something else that is available to you on the campus, such as student government, athletics, intramural sports, or be in a choir or on a dance team or something like that. Something that continues to push you to grow your abilities as a human being and really anything that you participate in can eventually be used as an officer in the Air Force. I think that's fair. It also lines up with some things we've mentioned in past episodes. So yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And like you're saying, it, it lines up with you get to define for yourself what success looks like. And as long as you're meeting those mandatory requirements, you get to paint in the rest of the picture. Cool. What do summers look like for an ROTC student? So freshman year complete, summer, do you grow your hair out and go move to the woods? I mean, what what happens during the summertime? Actually, that sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) That does sound like fun, right? (laughs) The summers for ROTC cadets are their own. ROTC is not in session during the summers between the 100 and the 200 year and the 300 and the 400 year. There are things that cadets can get involved with that are Air Force ROTC sponsored, but again, they're not required. Some of those things are like Project Global Officer or Project Go, which is a development opportunity where a cadet can go to a foreign country, stay with a host family, take classes at the local school or university, do some sightseeing. The idea being get some perspective on the world around you and use that information in your development as a cadet and as a future officer. Another opportunity is called Ops Air Force, where a cadet can visit a base or two and shadow officers so that they can learn a little bit about these different career fields, what officers are involved in, and become more informed about what they might want to do as an officer themselves. I think the Academy does some similar things to that, if I understand correctly. Yeah, a lot of the activities at the Academy are also available to ROTC, like jump, where they can get their jump wings, learning to parachute out of an airplane. They can take a glider course. They can get some funding to get a a private pilot's license. Lots of different professional development opportunities that are available to our cadets. If that is something that you want to get involved with, the best thing to do is go talk to your cadre member and they will help you identify something that uh, is available and you are eligible for. Awesome. Okay, so that's freshman year done and done. Maybe you do something in the summer, maybe you don't. Sophomore year seems just kind of like a rinse, wash, repeat, maybe a little bit more growth, a little bit more responsibility, but pretty much kind of the same. Yeah, uh, more of the same, except the major difference between the 200 year and the 100 year is now you are in preparation to attend field training. Field training, right? It's the ominous thing that lurks over 
the entire sophomore year. Yes. <laughs> so field training, I'm going to not go into depth on it because I think it's an important enough topic that it deserves its own episode. Yes. And I know you have many, many thoughts on field training. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So we'll put a pin in that and we'll just so field training's coming, but that's kind of the context for the rest of the year, right? Yeah. So the, the 200s, they either have a year under their belt or they are what we call a 250 where they're coming in as a brand new cadet, but they're completing both their 100 and their 200 year at the same time. But the point of the second GMC year is prepare for field training. And along the way, the curriculum that we teach them in their AS class and in lead lab is focused on the foundational basics of leadership and what it takes to build a team. One of the things that happens during the 200 year is field training preparation or FTP. Some detachments will accomplish all of the FTP objectives during leadership lab, but if your detachment is like mine, they have a separate FTP hour that happens outside of leadership lab during the week. If it does happen outside of leadership lab, it is considered voluntary PMT, but if you go, and I encourage you to find a way to make that happen, it will help your growth as a cadet in preparation for field training and then hopefully later on when you become an officer. Also during the 200 year is when you are going to compete for an enrollment allocation or EA through the POC selection process or PSP. Yes, POC selection process or PSP is an acronym within an acronym. Oh, don't we love, don't we love I call them inception acronyms. You know, thinking back to that great movie where you dream within a dream within a dream. Anyway, we do this to ourselves, Colin. We do this to ourselves. It's true. Yeah, so it is through the PSP that you will earn an EA. There's some alphabet soup there for you. Yeah. <laughs> and that EA or enrollment allocation is your permission to attend field training the following summer, as well as the signal to the personnel center or AFPC to hold a spot for you so that when you graduate and receive your commission, you have a place to go. You have a job waiting for you. Okay. So do you actually get your job or is it more like a broad category? Cause it seems a little early to be, you know, saying, Hey, you're going to be a pilot and you still have three years of college left. Yeah. So the EA or enrollment allocation is not your exact job. There are five different types of enrollment allocations. Some of these may sound familiar. If you think back to your explanation of how you get to OTS, there are five different types of EAs. The first one is rated technical, and that's exactly what it sounds like. Rated being positioning you for a pilot or a combat systems officer or one of those other rated positions. And then the technical piece of it is saying that you are in a technical major, such as mechanical engineering or computer science or something along those lines. That is rated technical. And the opposite of that would be rated non-tech, just like it sounds. Same career fields, that, that's what it's pointing you toward, but in a non-technical major like history, English, political science, something like that. Then there is non-rated technical and non-rated non-tech. So those are other types of EAs that you can get that point you to a non-rated career field. 
Now, why would you want a rated versus a non-rated EA? The reason is later on, and I'll talk about this when I get to the 300 or 400 year, when it comes time for rated selection, those that have a rated EA must participate in the rated selection board. Whereas those who have a non-rated EA don't have to participate, but have the opportunity to opt in if they so choose. And if the Air Force is allowing for non-rated EAs to opt in. Because the Air Force always has the ability to limit the rated selection board to those who have a rated EA. So those are the first four enrollment allocation types, the last one being nursing, or for those that are looking to pursue a nursing career. Now those nurses... We had a ton of nurses at OTS. Do they get their commission from the university through the ROTC program, or do they actually have to go to OTS at some point? No, so the nurses don't have to go through OTS. They are the only non-line career field that can go through Air Force ROTC. All other non-line career fields must go through COT or OTS. Okay. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, I would say a huge portion of the direct commission students that went through at the time caught now it's all one training program but yeah a huge portion of them were nurses yeah and if you think about one of the programs that sam mentioned in the enlisted commissioning program episode the nurse enlisted commissioning program or necp that is facilitated through air force rtc wow fantastic so those are the five types of enrollment allocations that you can get to be eligible for PSP, the POC selection process, and to compete for an EA, you must meet the following requirements. And these don't change very often, so this will hold true. Must have at least a 2.0 cumulative GPA. You have to be a full-time student. You have to meet uh, the Air Force's BMI or body fat standards within 30 days of the selection board. You have to have a passing fitness assessment. You must be classified as a AS 200 or 250 or 500, you have to have attempted the Air Force Officer Qualifying Test or AFOQT. Having a passing score is not required in order to compete for PSP or to attend field training, but you do have to eventually pass the AFOQT in order to receive a commission in the Air Force. You do have to have a qualified DODMERB and that is the medical evaluation that certifies that you are medically qualified to serve in the Air Force. And you have to meet the age requirements being under the age of 39, which can be waived up to the age of 42 by the time you receive your commission. And then the last one, and this is more important than I ever thought it would be, is that you have to have your citizenship. You have to be a citizen of the United States in order to compete for PSP, not just to receive your commission, but to go to field training and become a POC cadet, you have to have your citizenship. So assuming that you meet all of those requirements and you are selected for an enrollment allocation, you will attend field training the following summer. Like I said, this is an important topic. It's important enough that I want us to devote its own episode to it. But these are the things that I'm going to say about field training at this point. Understand that the goal of field training is to evaluate cadets on their preparation and their leadership under stress. Field training 
is actually a misnomer. There's no training that happens there. It is a field evaluation on your ability to lead under stress. We want to see how you react to stress outside of the academic environment at the university. Also, I'll say that of all the things in Air Force ROTC, field training is the thing that has changed the most over the last 15 years. Most notably, it used to be that the field training units were spread out all over different Air Force bases across the United States, but they have all since been consolidated to Maxwell Air Force Base. And it used to be that field training was four weeks long. That was the case when I was a cadet, but now it is only 14 days. And the last thing that I'll say about field training is that it is not hard. The anticipation of field training is far more stressful than the actual event itself. So I'm going to leave it there for the moment, but I'm excited to address it in a later episode. Yeah, same. Looking forward to hearing from you about that. So like I was mentioning earlier, Reed, the GMC years can be compressed into one. It is possible for someone who didn't know about Air Force ROTC at the beginning of their college career to join in their sophomore or their junior year. The important thing is that if someone is going to do that, that they have at least three years left before they receive their bachelor's degree so that they can complete the compressed one year of GMC and then the two POC years, which I'm going to explain next. Another thing is that those who have significant prior military experience, either on active duty as an enlisted airman or soldier or sailor, or that have been in the guard or reserve, or that have passed through some of those high school military training programs like junior ROTC or civil air patrol or something along those lines, they can actually be credited the GMC years uh, because they have already passed through a lot of the training that we do in that first or that second GMC year. So if you are someone that has prior military experience and you got out and are now considering that you want to be an officer, we can potentially get you through ROTC faster than the typical four years. So how did your second year compare to your first year? So I remember my 200 year being much more difficult than my 100 year, mainly because it was much harder to find balance in everything that I was trying to do. Like I mentioned, the 200-year having FTP, I was fully involved in that. I was also asked to take a position within the cadet wing as the adjutant, and I found that my classes were getting much harder, as is normal for any degree program that you go through, but definitely the case for mechanical engineering. Oh, and by the way, uh, in my 200-year, I met a girl. Oh, well, that changes everything. I, it did. And the story of how I met that girl and how it uh, affected my Air Force ROTC training and eventual Air Force career is both a long and an interesting one that I'm happy to tell at another time. But I will say that it has a happy ending, or at least it hasn't ended yet. 
that girl and I have been married almost 11 years now and have two boys as well as a third one that will be joining our family any day now. Yeah, pretty much any minute, right? I mean, you're, you're in the window. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely in that window. All right. And, and that harkens back to what I was saying about why I chose to not go to the Air Force Academy because I knew that I would want to get married. And this was the beginning of all of that. So my 200 year was difficult, but very rewarding to say the least. All right. I know this episode is already really long, but I feel like that was the best ending point for the information specific to being a GMC cadet in Air Force ROTC. I hope that it has been useful to you. And that you'll take the opportunity to share this information with a high school student or a freshman or sophomore in college as they are the target demographic for Air Force ROTC and the GMC program. As I explained at the beginning of the episode, next week we'll pick up the rest of our deep dive into Air Force ROTC specific to the POC years. If you have any questions about being in Air Force ROTC as a GMC cadet, you can reach out to us through the social media platforms or email us at airforceofficerpodcast at gmail.com. You can also ask us your questions and engage with us in our Facebook group. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the U.S. government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement.